Welcome back to the Dear Show. First breaking news, the Supreme Court has voted. We don't know what the vote was. All you need is four votes for cert. Has voted uh, to take the case of President, former President uh, Trump's uh, allegation that he was immune from any prosecution for what happened on, on January 6th. doesn't mean they're going to reverse the decisions of the lower courts, but it does mean, and that's why it's such a big deal, there probably won't be a trial um, in the District of Columbia until after the election. Uh, they're going to hear argument on, on, I think it's April 21st or thereabouts. They probably won't be able to come down with a decision until probably late June. By that time, it be very difficult to start and complete a trial uh, with due process and fairness um, uh, before the election. So I suspect we're not going to see a trial uh, before the election. So that's a big, big deal. The other big deal underreported, Fox reported it, but as far as I can tell, CNN didn't report it. We had yesterday or the other day at Berkeley a real pogrom. A pogrom is when you uh, have wild people attacking uh, Jews. Uh, they used to happen in Europe. The reason my grandparents came over from Europe to the United States was because they knew in their hometowns in Poland and places around there, there would be pogroms, people coming and beating up Jews, threatening them, uh, Kristallnacht, and then the ultimate pogrom, of course, was the Holocaust. Uh, we saw a mini pogrom uh, the other day at uh, the University of California at, at Berkeley, a place which I spoke at and where there were protests. These were not protests. There were a group of students, Jewish mostly, probably mostly pro-Israel, coming to listen to a lawyer, uh, an Israeli lawyer who had served in the IDF and was going to speak about legal issues growing out of the Gaza war with, um, with uh, Israel. And these students uh, broke glass, broke in, prevented the event from going forward, spit at Jews, called them dirty Jews, did exactly what the Nazis uh, used to do in the early 1930s. What we're beginning to see now in American universities is what we saw in German universities in the 1930s, in the University of Munich, in the University of Berlin, in many other universities where Nazis would break up uh, classes, would break up uh, Jewish events, would uh, ultimately destroy uh, synagogues and, and destroy Jewish businesses. We're seeing that at the University of California, and it's going to spread because these pro-Hamas demonstrators, and they're not pro-Palestinian. If they were pro-Palestinian, they'd be anti-Hamas. These um, uh, um, pro-Hamas demonstrators um, are not interested in talking or having questions or answers. They're interested in, in just hurting Jews, and they're interested in attacking them, and they're interested in preventing them from speaking. That's what happened the other night when I spoke at uh, Temple Bethel in Miami. Uh, a group called Jewish Voice for Peace tried to break it up, tried to prevent me from speaking. The police in this, in that case came in and took them out. But uh, as far as I know, the police and others at the University of California gave preference to the rioters over the people who came to exercise their First Amendment right to listen to a speaker. They they made the, the Jewish students leave through secret tunnels to protect them. That's not the American way. That's not the meaning of the First Amendment. And that's not the meaning of George Washington's letter to the Jewish community in 1790 when he said that of bigotry, we know, give no sanction. Uh, and so I hope that there will be consequences at the 
University of California at uh, Berkeley. That's the home of the free speech movement, but it's turned into free speech for me, but but not for thee. So today on the show, I want to do a rare thing, which I almost never do. I'm not a political person. I'm not a politician. I'm not a party functionary or anything like that. You know, I vote. I voted since I voted for John Kennedy in 1960, but and I contribute. Uh, I just contributed money to Josh Gottheimer, a great congressman from New Jersey, and I contribute to whoever I think. I, he was a former student of mine, so I do contribute to former students. But uh, I generally don't do political analysis, but I want to do one tonight. So last night um, in in um, Michigan, there was a vote and, of course, a primary. And, of course, both candidates who are going to be the candidates, um, Joe Biden won overwhelmingly, as did, as did Donald Trump. But in the Joe Biden election, um, 13% of the voters uh, voted for neither candidate. There was Joe Biden and there was a guy nobody's ever heard of running who got a tiny percentage of the vote. But there was another uh, category uh, that people uh, voted for, for nobody, um, as a protest vote. And 13% of the electorate did that, as compared to previous elections, where about 10% did that. And What's going on now is that the Democratic Party is terrified of these uh, couple of hundred thousand voters, most of them Muslim and Arab, most of them virulently anti-Israel, most of them would like to see Israel uh, destroyed as the nation state of the Jewish people. They claim they're protesting the um, uh, against the ceasefire, but that's just a, a tip of the iceberg. Of course, they want a unilateral ceasefire. They don't say anything about the hostages returning. Um, and they want the ceasefire uh, to give Hamas a victory, and ultimately they want to see Israel destroyed. Not all of them, but a great, great many of them. And there are people within the Democratic Party and advisors to President Biden who are telling him, well, you've got to change your policies on Israel, not because your policies are wrong, but because you've got to win Michigan. Unless you win Michigan, you're not going to win the presidential election. And unless you get these 200,000 people to vote for you, you're not going to win the election. Nonsense. These people do not know what they are talking about. I don't care how many degrees they have. I don't care how many polls they've conducted. I don't care how much experience they have in politics. They are dead wrong. If Biden turns against Israel because of 200,000 voters in Michigan, he's going to lose the election and he will deserve to lose the election if that happens. Let me tell you why. All right, 200,000 people. Who are they going to vote for? Are 200,000 Muslims and Arabs going to vote for Donald Trump, the guy who imposed the Muslim ban back when he was uh, president? Uh, no, they're not going to want to see Donald Trump a uh, president. They're going to come and they're going to vote. They're going to hold their nose, but they're going to no vote for, for, for Biden. Let me tell you who will not vote for Biden if he changes his policies evangelical Christians, and there are many Democrat evangelical Christians, many blue-collar Democrats, many working-class union Democrats who will ordinarily vote for a Democrat, uh, but they're not going to vote for a Democrat who's anti-Israel if they're evangelical Christians. And they're certainly not going to vote for uh, Biden if they're Jewish or if they're Zionists or pro-Israel in any other way. We're talking there about millions of people. We're talking about Pennsylvania, I guarantee you, 
that if President Biden turns against Israel, he's going to lose Pennsylvania. He's going to lose Arizona. He is going to lose Florida. He may lose Florida anyway, but it's a close election. He's going to lose New Mexico. He may lose other states as well. It is a bad tactic, and it's also immoral. Presidents shouldn't be basing their decisions about foreign policy of the United States, what's best for the United States in support of Israel, and defeat of Hamas is best for the United States, because if Hamas is not defeated in Israel, it's coming to a theater near you in your hometown. We know it. We know that Hamas has operatives um, in European cities. And when you think of all the people crossing the border into the United States, you don't think there are dozens of Hamas operatives coming across the border intending to do damage to the United States. And they have plenty of allies at universities. Yes, university students will join with Hamas terrorists in inflicting damage on the United States, just the way American university students joined with hard, hard left socialists and communists in the 1970s when they were protesting the war in Vietnam. Uh, this protest, though, you know, it's called pro-Palestinian. It has nothing to do with Palestinians. You know, these are not people who care about human rights. If they did, they'd care about the Kurds. They'd care about the Uyghurs. They'd care about many, many other groups. they care about Darfur, which has real genocide, uh, has gone on in the past and is in the beginning of going on now. No, they're just anti-Israel and they're anti-American. And Americans support Israel. That doesn't mean they support everything Israel does. It doesn't mean that they support uh, Benjamin Netanyahu as the prime minister. Israelis, many don't support him. Probably more Americans support him these days than, than Israelis. But the important point is that you're not going to win an election by trying to pander to 200,000 Muslims and Arabs. By the way, Joe Biden will never satisfy the 200,000 people that voted in the way they voted in 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 uh, Michigan. He's never going to satisfy them. They don't want to cease fire. They want Hamas to win. They want Israel to be destroyed. They want the United States to cut off all aid. They don't want the hostages to come back. They're using the ceasefire. Remember, these are people who condemned Israel, many of them, the day after October 7th, before a single Israeli soldier entered Gaza. And so there's, it's no win for Joe for Joe Biden if he begins to give in to the Muslim and Arab voters who didn't vote for him in yesterday's election in 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 um, Michigan. He's not going to change any of their views. That's number one. Number two, election is not tomorrow. Doesn't matter who voted for him or who voted not for him or who voted for whatever in this primary. This is. This was a Democratic primary, an uncontested Democratic primary. The election is different. First of all, the war in Gaza will almost certainly be over at the time of the election. Um, Israel is not going to have its aid cut off, although we now see some Republican congressmen who are trying to prevent the aid bill from going through aid to Ukraine, aid to uh, Israel, aid to also Palestinians, um, humanitarian aid. Uh, I hope that all does go through, and I think it will. But by November... Nobody can predict what the world will look like, and certainly nobody can predict what the Middle East will look like. And for uh, Biden to change his policies in relation to Israel, because he's afraid that in November, a couple of hundred thousand people in Michigan 
will stay home or vote for a, a third party candidate. Who are you going to vote for? They're certainly not going to vote for Bobby Kennedy. Bobby Kennedy is much more pro-Israel than, than, than Joe Biden. Who, who, who are they going to vote for? Uh, they're going to vote for Donald Trump. No, he's more pro-Israel. Um, and, and, uh, so, so it's, 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 it's foolish. Forget about it being immoral. It's just damn foolish for any Democrat to think that Biden's chances of winning the election in November increase if he turns against, uh, Israel. Now, you know, many of you watching this show will probably say, well, the one good thing if he turns against Israel, maybe maybe Dershowitz will finally become a Republican. Uh, joke. Um, I'm not going to become a Republican, um, but I may not vote for him. Uh, I'm never going to vote for a candidate who I think puts politics before um, national security interests of the United States and the national security interests of the United States certainly are are with uh, with Israel. You know, it's interesting because Biden has recognized that if Putin is allowed to win in Ukraine, he's going to move way beyond uh, Ukraine. He's going to try to move into, you know, Latvia, Lithuania, Finland, who knows, uh, other countries, uh, including some NATO uh, countries. Well, don't you think the same thing is true with Hamas? If Hamas is allowed to win, and they are winning, they are winning not in the military uh, arena, but they're winning in the court of public opinion. They're winning at Berkeley. They're winning at Harvard. Uh, they're winning the minds and souls of many of our, our future leaders. Uh, the degree of anti-Semitism that has emerged, that has surfaced, that had to have been there hidden before. But what happened on October 8th, I'm not talking about October 30th or, or January 30th, uh, after Israel sent troops into Gaza. Look at what happened October 8th before a single soldier went into Gaza, the amount of anti-Semitism from the hard left, uh, old communist uh, National Lawyers Guild, um, blaming Israel and saying Hamas did the right thing, uh, they were totally justified, or 33 groups at Harvard who blamed the whole thing on Israel. This is before Israel sent the single soldiers. So don't talk to me about ceasefires. This was before there was any fire to cease. Um, the anti-Semitism that came out was just rampant. And if, if, if President Biden, who is not an anti-Semite, who has a warm place in his heart for Israel and the Jewish people, I've known him for 43 years, but if he listens to his political advisors and begins to pivot against Israel for fear of losing Michigan, which is what CNN, you know, saying it all night, oh, he's going to change, he should change, he should change, he's going to lose the election. CNN, of course, is just a, a propaganda machine these days for the Democratic Party, but he should not listen to them. And he shouldn't listen to Axelrod. And he shouldn't listen to other political pundits. They are wrong. He will lose this election if he pivots against uh, Israel. Because that's the voting bloc, uh, evangelical Christians, other Christians uh, who support uh, Israel, many Catholics who support Israel, and of course many Jews who support Israel, will not vote. And they have somewhere to go. You know, Jews can easily vote for Donald Trump, more have than other Republican candidates. Um, a lot of my friends could easily, not my Martha's Vineyard friends, but other friends could easily, they have a home uh, in the Republican Party. They are welcome. They're, many of them uh, benefit from Republican tax policies and, and business policies. Yeah, they don't like Republican policies toward, you know, choice and gay rights. They certainly don't like the uh, 
recent decision of the Alabama Supreme Court saying that uh, you can ban in vitro fertilization because it involves the killing of embryos. They don't like that, but you know, those are not their primary issues. Uh, primary, primary issues are often the economy and national security, the border. And so, you know, Jewish votes, evangelical Christian votes, they're up for grabs. Muslim and Arab votes are not up for grabs. Trump can't get them. So don't be bullied. Don't be pushed. Don't be pressured. Don't be fooled. They're calling, they're bluffing you. Call their bluff. Tell them you're going to stick to your principles. You're going to continue to give aid to Israel. Israel's soldiers are dying. Nobody's asking American soldiers to put their lives in harm's way. No American soldier has ever been asked to die for Israel. All Israel needs is bunker-busting bombs and weapons and ammunition and precision guidance, ammunition, uh, uh, new material for their Iron Dome, which they helped to develop along with the United States and which protects the United States. Israel is one of the United States' most important allies in the world, militarily, intellectually, strategically, in terms of you know, intelligence and spying and all of that. And, and, and Joe Biden, do not abandon Israel because of 200,000 Arabs and Muslims in Dearborn, Michigan. They're going to try to spread this now to other places. And sure, you'll get some young people. You'll get some young people who won't vote for Biden in the primary. Big deal. It doesn't make any difference. Everybody knows Joe Biden's going to be the nominee if, if, if he's healthy enough. Everybody knows that. So that doesn't mean they're going to stay home and allow Donald Trump to be elected. Call their bluff. Tell them you're not buying it. You're not going to change your policy. Because if you do, don't count on people like me. Don't count on people who believe uh, that America stands for principle. Don't count on people who support Israel to support you if you're going to give preference to 200,000 Muslims and Arabs who you can never satisfy anyway and who are never going to vote for Donald Trump and who probably will never stay home. They're bluffing. Call their bluff. Okay. A lot of letters. A lot of letters. Let's see what we're we're up to uh, today. Uh, a lot of letters about, obviously. You know, I... I <laughs> I am not sure how to pronounce Willis's first name. I used to pronounce it Fanny because, of course, we all had Aunt Fannies when I was growing up. Then I was told to pronounce it Forney. Now I got a letter from my great friend who corrects my my pronunciation and grammar, and I thank him for it. He listens to all my, my podcasts, and I've never had a podcast which he didn't find something to correct, and it's always nicely, constructively corrected. So I think he's trying to tell me that it's really not pronounced Fanny and it's not pronounced Fawny. It's pronounced like Fawny. Fawny. So you know what I'm going to do from now on? Willis. That's it. Willis. Willis and Wade. Um, that sounds like a dance team. But it's a team of prosecutors who um, may very well have um, uh, destroyed the case uh, in in. Um, uh, Fulton County by their uh, uh, sexual and financial liaison at a time when they should have been busy trying to prosecute the case. So a lot of letters about that. A lot of viewers have, have watched the two shows I did uh, on, on that today. I decided to take a break, but the letters bring me back to it. Special prosecutor, why? Get a special prosecutor like her? 
they're all corrupt. There's plenty of direct evidence and circumstantial evidence to convict Willis, Wade, and Bradley of perjury, improper behavior of a prosecutor, corruption, and much more. Plenty of evidence to have them thrown off the case, disbarred, tried, and convicted. Yeah, but who's going to do it? <laughs> Certainly the DA of um, Fulton County is not going to do it, even if she's disqualified. The people she appointed are not going to have a fair and complete and open investigation. So I do think a special prosecutor is warranted. I don't like special prosecutors. Maybe the attorney general of the state can do it. I don't know enough about Georgia law and practice and politics to know whether the attorney general could take the case over. In some states, an attorney general can take a criminal case over and do the prosecution themselves. In other states, no, that's not an appropriate uh, role for the attorney general. So we will wait and see. But the one thing that's clear is that these folks should not be able to prosecute this case. Um, I think it's so clear that um, a reasonable judge would not believe Willis, Wade, and uh, their friend who uh, couldn't remember anything. Or, you know, his testimony may not have helped, uh, the direct testimony may not have helped the disqualification motion, but his tweets and his emails and his letters, his written documentation certainly does. It's as clear as he can be that closer to the event in question, he did remember and he said he was speculating, but you don't speculate when you write to an opposing lawyer and you say absolutely, definitely, whatever. Yes, their relationship began before they said they began. You don't speculate about that. You have to know that if you're going to say it. And um, I'm pretty sure he knew it. And I'm pretty sure the judge knows he knew it. And let's see whether the judge has the willingness to uh, do what he's supposed to do as a member of the judicial branch, as somebody who's supposed to check and balance the um, executive branch and prosecutors, let's see if he if he does do what he should do. And that is find that the um, three people who testified the other day uh, were not telling the truth. I could not believe them. As I said yesterday, I'm an ethical lawyer. I would never put a witness on the stand who I thought was lying. I would not put any of those three witnesses on the witness stand. They do not pass my test for credibility. And if they don't pass my test for credibility as a lawyer, surely a judge should have enough doubt about their credibility to disqualify them and I think to refer them to the Bar Association uh, at the very least um, and perhaps also to prosecutors. But, you know, who will judge the judges? Who will prosecute the prosecutors? That's always one of the hardest questions. Okay. Thank you, Professor Dershowitz. I'm a retired attorney and recent subscriber. I'm so pleased and happy for you that you have a forum to communicate with us, the engaged public. Thank you for your lengthy public and private service to this country. I appreciate it. That's nice. Occasionally to get a letter. You, I, If I just read you my nasty letters, I could just have a whole show. Uh, devoted to that. And some of them, you know, are, are at least funny, but uh, so many of them contain so much hatred. And there's so much hatred against me because I'm a Jew. There's hatred against me because I'm an academic. There's hatred against me because I'm a Democrat. Um, um, uh, you know, there's, there's, uh, I almost once wrote a novel or I've written three novels. I actually started writing this novel and it was about a criminal lawyer based on me who gets killed. It's murdered. And they're trying to figure out who the suspects are. But there are so many suspects. People 
who he represented, people who he represented against, judges who he attacked. Uh, you know, there's when when you're a criminal lawyer, you make so many enemies that if a criminal lawyer is ever killed, it's a hard crime to solve. I hope that will never be a question involving me. But if it were, I don't know if they get the guy. Okay. What would keep the state AG from bringing charges against them if perjury was indeed committed? Well, that's the question that I raised, and I'm not sure I know the answer to that question. There should be there should be an answer, but I'm not sure. Okay, so here's a question that's an interesting one. Dirsch must be getting embarrassed about being part of the legal process, given how corrupt it has become. No, quite the opposite. I'm proud to be part of the legal process and to play the role I've been playing for 60 years, trying to expose the corruption and trying to fight against the corruption. Uh, from the day I started practicing law, I have fought against uh, corruption. My first popular book, The Best Defense, um, I had a chapter entitled Black Robes, White Lies about the corruption of the judiciary and how often judges uh, uh, lie. Um, I set out the 10 rules in my book uh, for uh, criminal cases. And, and uh, one of the rules was that uh, police often do uh, tell untruths about how they obtained evidence because they're convinced that the defendants are guilty and that they'll evade conviction because of lawyers like me. And so they fudge the evidence the way they did in the O.J. A Simpson case. And, and I say, and judges pretend to believe them. And appellate judges pretend to believe the trial judges who pretended to believe the police who pretend to believe, you know, the people who uh, found the evidence. So corruption has been has been rampant in our legal system. It, it used to be financial corruption. Um, there's less of that. Now, it's very hard uh, because although um, uh, Willis and Wade uh, only did cash, or at least Willis only paid him back in cash. Most transactions today are, are traceable, particularly with large sums of money. I remember a client coming to me um, and trying to pay me with a pizza box full of cash. And I said, no, I, I, I couldn't take the money. I said, why don't you get a cashier's check? Said, oh, no, no, we don't do checks. We don't do banks. I thought he was going to say we only rob banks, but we don't do banks. Um, but uh, ultimately, he came forward with, a, with a, a cashier's check. I had another case where a client wanted to pay me cash. I, I wouldn't take the cash and he wouldn't give me a check. And eventually I didn't take the case. Um, I just think, you know, well, cash is perfectly legal. Um, generally, uh, it can be often, often seen as a sign that people have something uh, to hide. I know there has been an effort by the Treasury Department to figure out the technology for tracing cash. I mean, that might be a little too big brother, but um, uh, um, there have to be ways of dealing with corruption. Our system is just too open to corruption. And, and it's, it's not only open to corruption by lawyers, uh, but it's corruption, you know, corruption light, corruption heavy. Take, for example, the hearings today in front of the House uh, Committee that's investigating uh, Hunter Biden. It's so interesting. You watch CNN and you watch Fox describe the hearings, and it's as if they're two different hearings. Um, um, on, on CNN, there's nothing there. There's nothing there at all. On Fox, there's impeachable offenses. Um, the reality 
is 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 that this seems no doubt at all that Hunter Biden used his family name to obtain money from people for him doing jobs that he wasn't qualified to do. Now, you know, that's wrong. Um, can you tie it to his um, father? Fox says yes. Um, CNN says no. I want to see the evidence. Um, as I said today on a, a radio show, the idea that Hunter Biden's testimony was given in cl behind closed doors today, I hope he'll give it again publicly, but we shouldn't do anything behind closed doors unless it relates to classified information. Why do you not have everything the government does visible to us on television? We have to be able to decide for ourselves. We cannot trust the media. You cannot trust journalists to tell us what happened. We have to see it with our own lying eyes, and we have to be able to make the decision who to believe and who not to believe. That's what was so interesting about watching the testimony of that lawyer friend of, um, of, of, of Nathan Wade. Any rational person watching him would say to himself, are you kidding? He really thinks that anybody is going to believe that stuff? Obviously, he got a phone call and he decided for whatever reason to change his testimony and to not incriminate his friend. And uh, let's see what the judge, let's see what the judge says. So lots of interesting things. Uh, we uh, come back on Monday. Probably the world will be a different place next Monday as it is today. But keep writing me letters and uh, keep watching my show. And if you can bring yourself to read my books, get Trump, uh, The War Against the Jews. I have two more coming out. I have a book coming out soon. A War Against Woke, and then I am putting the finishing touches on a serious scholarly book called The Preventive State, and I'll talk about that at some point in the future, too, but see you next week.